Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. The United Auto Workers playing hardball with three non-union automakers. Meanwhile, the latest on the organizing battle at Amazon, now the co-founder of the union, gets fired. Today on the show, the Texas AFT and the latest from Good Jobs First. Welcome to the Wednesday, December 13th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms. That includes... Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. Zef Capo will be our first guest on the show today. He was on not too long ago. We'll get an update of what's happening in uh, Texas public education. Zef is the current president of the Texas American Federation of Teachers. Previously, he was the president of the Houston Federation of Teachers. Zef is known for his honest and direct approach to solving issues and building lasting relationships in the communities that he serves. Going back to 2011, he spearheaded community meetings to develop a paradigm on how neighborhoods can affect change in a community. Zeph believes in strengthening the school-to-work pipeline and dismantling the cradle-to-prison pipeline. That's something we can delve into. To do so, he believes we must improve the learning conditions for our students, which also happen to be the teaching conditions of their members. And we're going to talk about the members of the Texas AFT. Now, back in September, this was uh, September 15th through October 15th, between that time period, more than 600 Texas public school employees took part in their Strive to Thrive Working Conditions Project. This included K through 12 certified and classified employees, as well as higher education employees. And for that month, the participants tracked certain aspects of their work days and work evenings and work weekends and submitted reports at the end of each week to the Texas AFT. This was very comprehensive and we're going to tear it all apart here on the show. Some of the key findings, working hours, it's, it's not like a nine to five job. Weekly average number of hours worked at their primary job, 50 hours, some working 80 hours. One in five, so 20% of project participants reported working a second job during the weeks that they tracked. Why? Well, I think the simple answer on that is pay. Why the extra hours? Why no one in our public schools seemed to be doing just one job? And they're talking bus duty, supervision. I mean, if you're teaching, they say, well, well, you know what? We need some help in uh, for lunch duty, supervision, substitute teaching. Can you help out on this? Can you help out on that? Then there's work expenses. Before the project, they already knew that teachers and staff of all kinds spent a fair amount of their personal money on classroom supplies. This happens all over. One report last year found that Texas teachers spent almost three hundred million dollars of their own money this is every year on their classrooms and students which is the highest in the nation what about workplace safety we talk about school safety most 
most people think of gun violence. Well, guess what? Uvalde. You know what happened there? After Uvalde, they surveyed educators, school staff, and parents in that survey. 90% of school employees said they were worried that their campus could be the site of a next tragedy. You would think that they would learn from that. There's a whole lot more. There's, I mean, Zach sent me about four pages of material on what the teachers are saying. And, you know, they've been trying to talk to lawmakers about this, but the answer is, oh, more school vouchers. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. It's really crazy. And lack of funding. That's the other problem in Texas. TexasAFT.org is the website. Our second guest on the show today is Greg Leroy. Greg, 25 years ago, started a wonderful organization called Good Jobs First. When you get an opportunity, go to the website, goodjobsfirst.org. And they recently came out with a report, 25 Years of Good Trouble. And this is an organization that casts a light on what governments do to attract jobs to their respective states or cities. And a big part of it, tax breaks. And we've often had a conversation about Amazon. Now, Amazon, their business model is delivery as fast as possible. So in order to do that, they have to build warehouses. And you see a lot of communities spending a whole lot of money, taxpayers' money, to lure those Amazon warehouses. That's just one example. Tax breaks do not create jobs. That's the opinion of uh, Greg Leroy. And he's going to take a look at uh, 25, since it's been 25 years of making good trouble, 25 of their biggest moments at Good Jobs First. And artificial intelligence now, there's a lot going on in that arena. We've been addressing that on the show. He's going to touch on that as well. So uh, Greg Leroy, our second guest right here on America's Workforce. Now look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at BoydWatterson.com. Speaking of Amazon, workers and organizers at that company are accusing them of retaliating against union organizers. Big surprise, right? Amazon fired Connor Spence, co-founder of the Amazon Labor Union. This happened at the end of last month. The company has claimed Spence violated a company policy restricting access of off-duty workers to facilities. The National Labor Relations Board has alleged that this policy violates federal labor law, and they're seeking to have it overturned. Now, back in October, Mr. Spence let an employee walk out at Amazon Staten Island facility to push for higher pay and an end to discrimination against pregnant workers. He has said he helped plan for the walkout by visiting the site while off-duty. Key word is off-duty. In addition to its termination of Mr. Spence, Amazon has allegedly ramped up a union-busting campaign at their air hub at the Cincinnati, Kentucky International Airport. Managers reportedly confronted employees handing out union materials, checked their employee badges multiple times, and told them that they were being insubordinate for setting up tables in the entrance pathway. Well, after the workers refused to stop tabling, 11 of them received write-ups threatening termination. 
In addition to this discipline, the company has held mandatory anti-union meetings, questioned workers involved in the campaign, and sent out mass emails and texts. This is a company that has been documented to spend well over $15 million a year, 14 to $15 million a year on consultants to bust the union. This is what they have done, and this is what they'll continue to do. In the meantime, the UAW has filed unfair labor practice charges with the Labor Board against Honda, Hyundai, and Volkswagen. The union has alleged that the three automakers have committed various illegal union-busting tactics in response to increased organizing efforts at their plants. Among the allegations, the union has claimed that Volkswagen has threatened workers for discussing union representation and has confiscated and destroyed pro-union materials in the break room. Union has also alleged that Honda has targeted workers for pro-union activity and that Hyundai has, quote, unlawfully confiscated, destroyed, and prohibited pro-union materials in non-work areas during non-work times, end of quote. The uh, Labor Board filings come just two weeks after the union publicly announced its goal of organizing workers at 13 other automakers in the U.S. Following its success in securing contracts with the big three, UAW has turned to organizing other major automobile companies and thus far hundreds of workers at Honda's Greensburg plant and Hyundai's Montgomery plant, along with over a 1,000 workers at Volkswagen's Chattanooga plant have signed union cards to join the UAW. So we have a fight on our hands. Boy, do we have a fight on our hands. In the meantime, Tesla, here's another company, very, very anti-union. They, continues to, uh, they continue to confront backlash in Europe for their anti-union stance in yesterday pension funds based in the Nordic region, announced that they would submit a joint letter to Tesla urging the automaker to respect the collective bargaining rights of Nordic workers. Mind you, in October, Swedish mechanics working for Tesla walked off the job after the automaker refused to adopt a collective agreement with those workers. And shortly after, members of other unions in the region, including dock workers and postal workers, joined the strike in solidarity. The pushback against Tesla has spread beyond organized labor. Some pension funds have sold their shares in Tesla. Many other pension funds have announced that they would sign into a joint letter demanding that Tesla sign a collective agreement with their workers. Big difference, obviously, with unions in Europe versus unions in the United States. And going back to Volkswagen. Volkswagen, very, very pro-union in Germany. In fact, when they... Uh, wanted to organize at Chattanooga. This was almost 10 years ago. They wanted the union, but now they realize they can get away without the union in the United States. And so far, they are doing that. But they haven't met Sean Fain. I'm sure there will, that day will come very, very soon. All right, we have to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to check in with the Texas AFT. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. 
From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Layuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Layuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Layuna at Layuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at USW.org. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SPS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. This portion of the show brought to you by the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craftworkers. For more information, please visit BACWeb.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. In fact, Melissa Cropper, president of the OFT, will be joining us uh, next Tuesday on the show. And she's also a big fan of our first guest on the show today, Zef Capo, who is the president of the Texas American Federation of Teachers, texasaft.org. Zef was on the show not too long ago, but uh, today we're going to talk about uh, something that he did couple of months ago and basically and this is what unions do and do so well they reach out to their members try to get a feel of what they're thinking where they see the situation going and between september 15th and october 15th the texas aft checked in with more than 600 public school employees in what they call their strive to thrive working conditions project i think this is a great idea i'm sure other uh, other unions are going to follow the lead here zeff Welcome uh, back to the show. This this is fascinating. I appreciate you sending me all the information on what you found out from your members, but um, I want to hear from the horse's mouth here. 
this uh, this is uh, this is an eye opener, a true eye opener. So I'm going to let you pick it up from there. Go ahead, brother. Well, I'm glad to be back. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, it's good to be here to talk about these issues because our members, those uh, 600 uh, um, public school employees who participated in this project, um, this wasn't just like a regular survey. They were actually um, uh, taking notes, and over an entire month, some of them maybe got a week done, some got two weeks, some of these 600 logged this information for an entire month so we could get a snapshot and more importantly later on be able to share this snapshot with our elected officials of exactly what our public school teachers and others are expected to do um, uh, in a day-to-day you know in any particular given day of their job and what we found is probably not surprising to those that uh, do this work is on average, those 600 individuals worked about 50 hours a week in their primary job. Some of those that uh, reported in, reported in as much as 80 hours in a particular week. Uh, Of those 600, one in five of the participants reported working a second job during the weeks that they tracked. And and we started trying to look into, we, we into the survey as to why all these extra hours? And what we saw was almost to a one, no one in our public school system was doing just one job, let alone just their own job. 51% of our participants were asked to perform duties outside of their designated role in any given week. And they could include things like bus duty or supervision, lunch duty, Uh, overseeing students, checking them in and out during these periods. They may be substitute teaching for classes that didn't have a teacher or no sub filled up for. They may be doing actual cleaning and maintenance work outside of their normal duties as as teachers as well, too. Um, and, And, you know, when it comes down to the things that you would expect teachers to be doing, Um, They spend about an average of four hours a week on lesson planning, but more than nine hours a week on paperwork. And that's a huge, um, that's a huge difference. That's a huge um, um, number for us uh, because everyone in our profession knows the better you plan, the more opportunity you have to actually plan and do it well, the better job you're going to do in executing lessons with students. And the fact that in the United States, we have more than twice as much time spent on paperwork than actual lesson planning um, is, is a direct result of how we, uh, how we inappropriately administrate what teachers have to do in classrooms every day. So they're overworked. Let, let's put it bluntly. They're overworked. And on top of that, despite all the hours that they're putting in, <laughs> obviously they're not getting paid enough. They have to find another job. I mean, out of that out of that sampling that you that you polled, that six hundred, would you say a majority of them had to pick up extra work outside of the teaching profession? Likely, there are more of those that uh, work outside the teaching profession during certain times. What we find is uh, secondary jobs can be seasonal for some of our teachers, in particular. Um, you know, they may work a 40-hour job elsewhere over the summer. They may pick up time 
um, you know, during breaks at other jobs. But what we found was in this particular study, 20% had secondary jobs during their regular average work week on school somewhere else uh, of these that studied. Now, um, so it probably doesn't completely correlate to those that have secondary jobs because the likelihood is more individuals that are working two or three jobs outside of school probably didn't have time to invest in this project um, because this wasn't just like a regular fill it out in 15 minute survey. This was a project that they spent time on for four weeks straight, really documenting what they were expected to do on a daily basis. Sure, I get it. Let me ask you this. It sounds to me that uh, because they're doing these extra jobs, you mentioned lunch duty, substitute teaching, it, that sounds like a severe teacher shortage in, in the state of Texas. And I know it's happening all around America. How bad is it in your state, Zeph? Yeah, it's, we, we, even before the alarm started being sounded on a staffing crisis, because I want to be clear, it's bad with teachers, but it's also bad with all of our school employees. Before the alarm started sounding on that staffing crisis, we were already losing 50% of our new teachers after the first year of teaching. 50% of every new teacher that came in was packing their bags and getting the hell out uh, by the end of the first year. Um, uh, and, and on top of that now, we have not only the teaching crisis, but staffing crisis because our paraprofessionals and others that should be doing these jobs are either being cut because of funding or they're walking out and choosing to work elsewhere because pay is not keeping up with what they could get in other jobs outside of teaching. And that's having a very distinct problem of leaving more work for those that are still willing to stay um, because they love what they do. They love being um, school teachers and they love uh, working with our kids, but it's overwhelming them to the point where they're burning out, which is making the staffing crisis even worse. And it's not like the legislature can't pay them. I was reading that uh, there's like a $33 billion surplus in the Texas budget. I want to get into that a little bit later, but what I also want to get into now work expenses. So you got teachers that are overworked. They're doing other jobs. They're picking up jobs on the side and then <laughs> they have to buy what supplies, work expenses. And you did some uh, research on that. What, uh, what were your findings there? It, it, it's kind of amazing. Uh, when you think about this overworked individuals picking up extra duties and they're still on average during the four weeks that we tracked, on average, they're spending about $68 per week out of their own pocket to take care of their students because our public schools are not doing what needs to be done. We have kids that come in with holes in their shoes. They come in without having toothbrush, toothpaste. They come in without having deodorant. Um, all of these things that, that are very small but loom large in a classroom that are huge issues for um, for for keeping our kids on track, for keeping classrooms um, um, settled in a place where you can actually teach. 
those things, but they're big for our kids and our students. Those are the kind of things that people are reporting that they're spending on in their classrooms because they're not being covered either at home or at school. Um, we had that uh, during one of those four weeks, um, one of our uh, teachers reported spending as much as $1,000 per week. This was likely a, a newer teacher, somebody coming in who was re-equipping a classroom or moving to a new classroom. What we often find, principals have the discretion to move teachers from one grade level to another, and moving from fifth grade to first grade is like, you know, going to a different planet. So they often will have to re-equip their entire classroom. So you'll see these spikes of spending out of their own pocket because if they don't do it, um, you know, no one else will. A thousand dollars a week? Did you? Did I hear that correctly? They're spending a thousand a week. Well, that was one one person during this period spent a thousand dollars in a particular week. That was probably an outlier. But like I said, the likelihood was that was somebody who was required mid-year to move classrooms and completely retool their job. Just like any other job, when you start in a new phase or you're in a new type of work, you've got to have the right tools to do the job. And when administrators make these decisions without thinking about it, what they do is they cost, they cost teachers. I'm yeah, a fifth grade yeah. teacher who's now been reported to move next week to first grade. I'm going to have to invest in a completely different set of tools to be able to meet those kids. And if the school's not providing them, it comes out of my pocket to do it. Unbelievable. Zef Capo joining us on our live line today. He is president of the Texas American Federation of Teachers. Check him out online, texasaft.org. There's more to this report. We're going to talk about uh, safety in the classroom, which is a big issue, not just in Texas, but across America. Later in the show, we're going to check in with uh, Greg Leroy, Greg started Good Jobs First 25 years ago, and we're going to take a look at the last 25 years. 25 years of making good trouble, he says. That story later in the show, back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Iron Workers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight iron worker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylines and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great iron worker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at IFPTE.org. A great union requires a reliable election system. 
Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. The Alliance for American Manufacturing is a nonprofit, nonpartisan partnership formed back in 2007 by some of America's leading manufacturers and the United Steelworkers. Their mission is simple strengthen American manufacturing and create new private sector jobs through smart public policies. Keyword there is smart. We need to be smarter than ever in today's highly competitive world. The Alliance for American Manufacturing believes that an innovative and growing manufacturing base is vital to America's economic and national security, as well as providing good jobs for future generations. Good jobs today, good jobs tomorrow. Good American jobs. Find out more at AmericanManufacturing.org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis. And give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings. So please keep them coming. Let's go back to our live line. Rejoin Zef Capo, president of the Texas American Federation of Teachers, TexasAFT.org. We're talking about their Strive to Thrive Working Conditions Report. We've been hearing so much about the hard job in public schools with teachers. A lot of teachers decide to... To leave the profession because of the conditions in Texas is probably one of the worst right now. We covered the working hours as far as what teachers are paying because uh, they don't get the supplies that they're being told that they have to have in their classroom. Let's talk about safety. That's a number one issue here. And uh, you did some surveys on that. And obviously, Uvalde, that's a hot point there. That happened a couple of years ago in a horrible situation. So we have to hope that something like that doesn't happen again, but it seems like they haven't learned from their mistakes down there. Can you, uh, can you speak to that Seth? Well, they haven't at all. Unfortunately, I don't think a week goes by where my phone uh, doesn't send me an alert about some type of gun related safety issue in the state of Texas. Um, as a matter of fact, after the Uvalde incident, because it was so pointed to uh, our members, Um, We did a survey, and 90% of the school employees that uh, responded said they're worried that their campus could be the site of the next tragedy. And and that that feeling looms over them as they come in each day, um, as they meet their students and greet them and then uh, work with them throughout the day. When is it going to be them next? And unfortunately, you know, the response from our state legislature and their $33 billion surplus budget was 28 additional cents per student um, for safety measures. That averages out to about eight bucks a classroom. Um, You know, ninth largest economy in the world, $33 billion, 
and you know we we spend we spend less than you would spend on a Starbucks coffee um, in improving safety for our classrooms across the state. It's a shame, and these people deserve to be voted out of office. And, and I know you've been doing your best to to reach out to lawmakers and to uh, sound the alarm, but it seems like uh, it seems like you're getting crickets on all of this. Uh, where, where's the media on all that? I mean, what, what you're saying here, again, it's eye opening. It's mind boggling to see what's going on there. And, and yeah, if they didn't have the money, but they do, you mentioned $33 billion surplus. Why are they holding on to that? What's, what's the problem there? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, we, we, we saw it. We've been dealing with it with the last four special sessions is they're they're holding hostage funding for teacher raises and school school policies um, until the the members in the house um, give in to the governor's bullying um, he wants vouchers um, and he wants to make our schools the um, you know unsafe places that they are in order to score political points with certain individuals within his party and across the country that he's willing to put teachers and students and everyone else, um, their, their safety and their, their livelihood and their ability to thrive um, in a secondary position behind, uh, behind this, this strive for, for vouchers. And that's what's been driving everything in the state of Texas. Um, and that's, that's a problem. You know, obviously we have another issue when it comes to the safety issue, our, our state and the individuals that are in office are more focused on, um, they're more fo- focused on ideological positions. In addition to the 28 cents, the only other thing that they did was put more guns on campus. Because what we didn't talk about is, is the fact that they mandated that there be an um, armed police officer on every campus. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not against having trained police officers um, be the individuals on campus. It's actually our position that they are the ones that should be armed on campus if anybody is going to be because they're the ones that are trained to go through those uh, pieces. But when you apply a top-down approach the way that they've done it, it, that's not the best use of funding, and it's certainly not the best um, way to uh, ensure safety for all of our students. Our police chiefs, our experts in these fields should have the flexibility to be able to put together safety plans that fit their area, that fit their schools. We have schools in completely different geography, rural, suburban, urban, and they need to have that flexibility to be able to do what's in the best interest uh, of their campuses, and too often we get people in our legislature that think more guns are the answer, and that's all they need to do, and and we end up with schools that are less safe than than they were before Uvalde, unfortunately. Well, well, yeah, I, I've heard that. Yeah, more guns. We need more guns, but the problem is mental health. That's what they're saying. They're saying, well, we have a mental health problem. Are, are they trying to address the mental health situation in schools? There's a lot of kids, especially post-pandemic. Pandemic changed a lot of things. and There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of uh, desperation out there. Are they addressing that issue? 
So during during the survey that we took from September to October, um, our, our our teachers that took the survey, 35% of the participants reported um, having to respond to physical fights between students because we know post-COVID more of our kids are struggling. Um, educators are dealing with more behavioral uh, issues than ever before. Um, and what we what um, what we found was in this that very few of our classrooms actually have social workers or the mental health professionals. Uh, only 6% of the campuses um, um, uh, reported not having a counselor on site, but 45% of the campuses did not have a psychologist or a social worker. And I want to explain the difference for, for your audience out there because you hear okay, well, only 6% of campuses didn't have a counselor, and that would be good, right? But in public schools, counselors, 95% of the time, when they talk about having a counselor on campus, those individuals are dealing with testing. They're dealing with academic counseling. Most of them are not even um, properly trained and licensed to provide mental health services. Uh, depending on what their uh, training, ac uh, academic training was, um, and so those campuses, more almost half of them, uh, the responded, do not have the type of individuals that could deliver the mental health supports that our students need. All right, we've got some problems. There's no doubt about it, and you you put it bluntly in in some of the information you sent me. There's no sugarcoating it. In most ways, it was a lousy, a miserable year for public schools in Texas. So let's uh, let's try to put this behind us. Let's look at 2024. Let's look at the Texas AFT here. We got about four or five minutes left in this segment. Talk to me about what the plan is to turn this around. I know you have a vibrant union down there. You've got a lot of voices. You've got some research behind you. What's the game plan here, Zeph? Well, first and foremost is we have got to hold state leaders accountable for their failures. The reason that they're not changing the types of policies that they're putting out is because they don't feel accountable. And most of that is because... Our state is gerrymandered to the hilt. There, are, there might be three or four actual competitive seats in our entire legislature across a state that has more geography than any other state other than the state of Alaska. Um, and, and so that's why they don't feel the need to respond to their constituents the way that they should. Uh, it's because of political gerrymandering and the fact that our um, our Supreme Court has allowed these things to stand. But that's something we have to overcome. We have got to find other ways to hold these state leaders accountable for their failures because it's their actions and inactions that have put us in this place. Number two, we know that we're not going to do that without organizing locally to address these issues in districts across the state. We still have the opportunity to hold school boards accountable, to bring parents and community members into this conversation with our school employees, with our teachers and others, and with our students to make sure that these, well, these findings aren't just um, uh, numbers in a report somewhere, but they're actually bringing forward the stories of the people behind them.
that's our work. Gotcha. Well, Zeph, that's a tall order, but you got a lot of people behind you. You got uh, 66,000 active and retired members in the Texas AFT, the American Federation of Teachers, texasaft.org is a website. Well, I thank you for, uh, for contributing to the show today. Hang in there. Let's talk in the new year and see if, uh, see if any of these lawmakers are listening to the Texas AFT. Can we do that? Looking forward to it. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Greg Leroy is with Good Jobs First, and he's coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with Lyuna. Find out what it takes for Lyuna to keep America running at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. Are you an experienced mechanical insulator looking to take your career to the next level? Insulators Local 50 in Central Ohio has steady work for a number of years. Insulators Local 50 offers a total wage and benefits package that can't be beat. It's not just the competitive wages. Local 50 also provides medical, vision, and dental insurance with no paycheck deductions for you and your family. Don't miss out on the chance to secure your future. Join us at Insulators Local 50. Earn great pay and the best benefits. Visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF50 to fill out the online form and a local 50 representative will call to begin the process. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, and, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at UAW.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Iron Workers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Let's go to line number two. Welcome back to the show. Had this guy on many, many times. Love what he does. Greg Leroy started Good Jobs First 25 years ago. And today we're going to talk about 25 years 
of good trouble, making good trouble. He started this organization. And, you know, ironically, you and I talked about this, I think it was the end of last year, that you were going to celebrate a quarter of a century. And I started America's Workforce as a host in 1998. So there's a lot in common here. Well, congratulations all around then. Thank you. Thank you. And this show has grown monumentally this year. You know what's going on in organized labor. A lot of almost yes. a million people with new contracts. You got the Teamsters, you got the UAW, my union, SAG AFRA, AFTRA, mm-hmm. the, the Writers Guild. I mean, a lot of happy campers here, but you know what? They deserve it. They deserve it. I mean, we got inflation to deal with, uh, working conditions. We still got a long way to, to go, and uh, it's going to happen in 2024. But let's take a look back. When you started this, well, first of all, did you ever expect this uh, organization to take off like it like it has, Greg? Go ahead. Well, Flash, actually, I had been doing it for about a decade before I started Good Jobs First, just wearing other hats. You know, this whole issue of abuse of economic development incentives is this accidental career I had in the Midwest starting in the mid-1980s when I was helping people fight plant closings and factory shutdowns. And we kept finding that factories that were announced as closing had gotten tax-free financing, property tax abatements, training grants, enterprise zones, all the, and, we were, and we were jamming the mayors and the, uh, the governors and so on saying, what the heck? You know, they're taking the money and running. How is this legal? And that was really the beginning of this movement. And um, I realized, you know, by the late 90s that we, nobody else was focusing on it. I had to do it. So um, sort of an accidental career for me. So why don't you explain how Good Jobs First to kind of like uh, cast a light on what governments are doing. And, and, and I mean, they're spending, like you, like you indicated here, a whole lot of money, a whole lot of money to uh, create some jobs that are not necessarily good jobs. Can you, uh, can you get into that, Greg? Yeah. So every kind of tax that a company might normally pay, uh, property tax, sales tax, income tax, just like working families pay, many of those taxes go away, sometimes forever, uh, in the name of economic development. We estimate that it adds up to as much as $95 billion a year, maybe more in some years, that states and cities don't collect because they're giving it away to companies in the name of jobs. But then the trouble is, and you read the fine print about what the companies are required to do and what the companies are required to disclose about what they're doing, and there's a lot of gaps. All, All too often, there's not good wage requirements or their kind of weak or, or wage requirements. They not, might not be full-time. They might not be direct employment. They might not have good, you know, inclusive recruitment processes or pre-apprenticeship programs or, you know, workforce development to really bring people along and give them lifelong skills development, things that, you know, we in the labor movement understand are necessary to create good jobs over a lifetime. So. Um, that's that's been our mission is to say, wait a minute, let's put a light on this. Let's expose who's getting the, the dollars, how much they're getting, how much per job it costs, and then hold them to account to make sure the companies create good jobs that actually lift working families. Because otherwise, it, it ain't economic development, frankly. No, it's not. You know, it's funny. Your, your name came up in a conversation that I had uh, about a week ago with Dev Wakely. He's with an organization called uh, Alabama arise and sure. they they're one time. of yeah they're one of the many uh in in, in you, you saw a lot of these uh, non-union auto plants going to right to work states and you yes. know back in the 90s they gave them a lot of money to do business there they don't they didn't even put prevailing wage 
into the right. into the requirements. So you got auto workers that should be making a whole lot of money that are not making money, and they're trying right. to address that right now. So you know, let's take a look. I mean, that's just one example. You've got so many uh, highlights here over the last twenty five years. What uh, could you? Why don't you just run down a few here? And 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 uh, what, what? What you you shook up? You shook up the ground. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Let, let's get into that. Go ahead. Sure. So, uh, you know, on the disclosure front, uh, actually the first really good state disclosure bill was written uh, based on a book I wrote before there was Good Jobs First. Minnesota passed the first really good disclosure bill back in 1995, and then in 98 when I founded Good Jobs First, we had data. We had the best data in the country from Minnesota, so the first few studies we did were based on that data. We found that companies were paying way below market wages. We found companies getting paid to sprawl and run away from urban workers away from unions, you know, away from transit access for people that don't own a car. Um, and then, you know, by 2003, we, we did a big study, for example, in Illinois and won the best new disclosure law in the country in that state, which uh, opened up a whole new way of campaigning because you could now see exactly what was happening, how many, how many jobs, how good or not were the wages, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, we started grading the states. A few years later, we actually started issuing report card studies saying, okay, who's disclosing who isn't in their major programs? At the first blush, you know, we found fragmentary records from 23 states, but in many cases just barely qualifying. Today, all but one got a state, and, and it's coming out of the shadows. That's Alabama. Uh, all but one of the states and Washington, D.C. disclose company-specific records online. And when we... Uh, 13 years ago, we realized there was enough data now that we could actually put the data together in one big database. It's called Subsidy Tracker on our website. It's now got over 700,000 entries. We update it every month. Um, it's he very heavily used by campaigners, by journalists, by academics, um, by public officials um, to for all kinds of good reasons. You know, because the, the, the bottom line flash is we have a corporate-controlled economic development system in this country. Corporate-controlled depends on controlling the information about what really matters, who's getting how much, you know, uh, uh, putting our public officials in, in the so-called prisoner's dilemma, you know, tying their hands behind their back at the bargaining table. And the only way we can break down that that dynamic, that that unfair, you know, corporate-controlled dynamic is disclosure, sunshine, giving our public officials um, more tools and, and, frankly, giving the public more ways to pressure public officials to do the right thing and, and quit bowing to the public and uh, the, the corporate control. So a lot of what we've been doing is just raw pushing for, you know, disclosure. And, and every time a new, you, you mentioned uh, the new work we're doing on data centers now and artificial intelligence. I mean, this is a classic case where in a recent study we did uh, we looked at 16 states that have enacted new subsidies for data centers. These are the cloud computing data centers, right, the rooms full of servers running the cloud, including artificial intelligence and crypto mining and all kinds of other, and not just YouTube and Facebook. And um, only seven of those 16 states tell you who's getting what. You know, the other nine, you can't, you and I cannot say, is it Facebook, is it Google, is it Meta, is it Amazon Web Services, and how much are they getting, and how few jobs do these things create? I mean, the only good thing we can say about data centers, frankly, right now, is that at least in some markets, members of the IBW get a lot of work maintaining them uh, and, and swapping them out and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, so there's contract relationships in, in many markets. But, you know, the, the Internet companies have gotten a huge pass. Anyway, that, that's what we do at Good Jobs First. 
Yeah, yeah. The building trades are are building those uh, those data centers, and we're seeing it happen here in the state of Ohio in Central uh-huh. Ohio with the Intel plant, and, and they're they're yeah. looking at jobs going out to the next twenty five years. So it's good for them, but the workers there, and we have to talk about those who are going to work in the plants. And I know there's been some neutrality agreements. There's one in the uh, on the West Coast, the CWA. Yeah. Had, yeah. had work on that one. Yeah, that's that's what we got. And that's what this conversation is all about. Right. We have to yeah, cast we, a, we like cast the Chips a light. Science Act because it does favor the building trades, and they are getting project labor agreements, and they are getting prevailing wages for building these many of these facilities, most of them, we think. Yeah. But the permanent production jobs, big misunderstanding about most of those jobs are not nearly as good as being advertised. There's a lot of racial and sex stratification. You know, women and people of color not getting the best jobs in those places, very low union density rate, just a few bargaining units with uh, IFPTE and CWA, and there used to be one at UAW. So that's another whole push we're making now with a thing called Chips Communities United. So so that's the next 25 years for good jobs first? <laughs> yes, <laughs> is, that, right. is, is that the mission here, Greg? <laughs> it is. And you know, people forget you know, semiconductors are a dirty industry. People forget that Santa Clara County, Silicon Valley, San Jose there – has 23 EPA Superfund sites in it, more than any other county in the country. And uh, we, can't, we can't repeat that toxic history. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've done a great job. Uh, 25 years of making good trouble, and you got a great team behind you. Anything you want to call attention to? I, I know you, you touched on the artificial intelligence thing. Anything that uh, maybe might be coming out in January of 2024 to be aware of? Sure. So we're looking at we're looking at schools a lot these days. We have a study coming out in, about the St. Louis area school school districts. Um, we know we have another big disclosure victory we had is that most uh, cities, counties, school districts now must reveal how much revenue they lose to corporate welfare every year in their audited financial reports. And when you look at that and say, okay, who's losing the most? And what can we say about the student bodies of the school districts losing the most? If you look at Kansas City, if you look at Cincinnati, if you look at St. Louis, there's sharp racial disparities because the inner city school districts are getting hurt the worst, and that's where most of the students of color are. Um, We have a big study that we released in New York State that's prompting reform legislation there, big fights in South Carolina. Uh, So watch the school finance debate in 2024. All right. You can find it all at goodjobsfirst.org, goodjobsfirst.org, celebrating 25 years of making good trouble. All right, my brother, you take care. Have a wonderful holiday. We'll talk to you in the new year, okay? You too, Flash. See you then. All right, that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, we're going to check in with the transport workers who just rejected a contract with Southwest Airlines. That more until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.